Hello and welcome to the Pit Mailbag Show from the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. We're your hosts, Chris Carter and Abby Schnabel here from the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, two of your Pit beat writers. Noah Hiles is still in Bradenton, Florida, handling his duties covering private spring baseball. So Abby was very kind enough to join me on this show, just as she did our, our Pit post-game show. We're here taking your questions that you submitted for the Pit Mailbag Show uh, on, on, on Twitter, where we, po- we posted out the request. As always, you can find the show on your favorite podcasting apps and on YouTube. Like this video if you enjoy it. Subscribe to this YouTube channel to get all of our daily content that comes out from all of our Pittsburgh sports, our Pittsburgh Post-Gazette sports writers. And as always, this show is brought to you by Mike's Beer Bar, the best bar in all of Pittsburgh. When you go to Mike's Beer Bar, you're going to you get to experience over 500 different available beers. 300 of those beers are local. 80 of those local beers are available on tap. More on Mike's Beer Bar later. Abby. We're back on camera just a couple days afterwards. Full disclosure, we're recording this over the weekend uh, on Sunday because we want to get ahead of things. I have to travel to Indy for the combine. Noah's in brains, and so we're trying to all work around schedules. And Abby's covering twenty college basketball games a minute, so uh, we, we're all very busy. So let's start off, Abby, with a big question that comes from one of our listeners, Jamal. Jamal asks, uh, "Does Blake Hinson?" have a real chance to win ACC player of the year. And this is a very interesting question because um, Pitt has had some all ACC players, mm-hmm. Justin Champagny, Jamarius Burton. And I think Blake Hinson's in the running to be, he's, I think he's easily going to be an all ACC player, but ACC player of the year, that's completely different territory. Yeah. What do you think are his chances there? So when I look at it, I think there are, there are five guys that I'm kind of considering for this. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got Reese Beekman from Virginia, R.J. Davis at North Carolina, Kyle Filipowski, the preseason pick at Duke, P.J. Hall at Clemson, and Blake Hinson. Oftentimes, we tend or uh, voters tend to put the person who um, scores the most points, yes. which right now is um, – is 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 where did it go? R.J. Davis. Mm-hmm. He's leading with twenty one point oh points. Henson's right behind him. Yes. Henson's in second at eighteen point nine. That's not a great um, judging factor because you know sometimes you get a guy who isn't the leading scorer. It tends to go that way when you look across things, but that's not always the thing. I think Blake Henson has a chance. I don't think it's a big one, simply because. It also tends to go to the person uh, whose team won the league. When you look at it from last year, you know, the the front runners runners were Isaiah Wong and Jamarius Burton because Miami and Pitt were one and two. And then um, Pitt loses to Miami in the final weekend. Isaiah Wong gets it handedly. Could you have argued that Jamarius Burton was the best player in the ACC? For sure. Mm Mm-hmm. But people tend to give more credit to the player who led their team to a first place, second place, or even third place. So that makes, that makes me a little hesitant to say that Blake has a good chance because Pitt, I think Pitt's ceiling this season is maybe fourth. But that also depends on um, fourth in the regular season, I should say. But that also depends on a lot of other factors that are completely out of Blake Henson's control. So I do think he's one of the top five players in this league. Absolutely. I don't necessarily have him as my front runner or maybe even not my one, two, three um, for ACC player of the year. But what do you think? I'm I'm right with you on this. And I think the way you put it was, was, was perfect. When you, when, when voters look at this and and I'm an ACC voter, I I vote on, I vote on the, the the players that win player of the week, rookie of the week um, and, and, and so on and so forth. Um, but 
yeah, I think people are going to look at who was the best team and who was the best player on the best team. And did that best player on the best team lead the league in scoring? That's a lot of things that add up in R.J. Davis's favor. Um, and, and look, North Carolina, if they fall out a little bit and Duke t- supplants them, you know, maybe that changes the narrative here because there's I think everyone's kind of coming down. There's like a, like three to four games left for every team. Um, North Carolina is currently in first place, 13-3 in the ACC. Duke's at 12-4. and four. They're right behind them. Um, and I think they play each other uh, at the end at the end of the regular season. Um, I might be I might be mistaken there. I haven't looked at like their schedules. But um, point being, there's opportunity here for R.J. Davis to make some mistakes. And there's also opportunities for Blake Henson to close the gap. Like if if Pitt walks into Clemson and beats Clemson and Blake Henson is a big factor in that, he has another like 30 plus point performance. That'll change some narratives because then he will also because Pitt's Pitt's in a different situation than North Carolina. North Carolina came in. They were a team that everyone respected. They knew like, hey, if that team plays well this year, they're going to be tough. They've handled their business from start to finish. But Pitt's team that started one in five in the conference and has risen from the dead. Like there was a point where people thought they were going to be in the bottom of the, of the ACC all season long. Now they're fighting for one of the top four spots, spots, like you said. That might get some votes. But to your point, the inside track belongs to R.J. Davis, and that's going to be a tough hill to climb for Blake Hinson. But let's move on to a more national topic here than just the ACC. And this one comes from our friend Jamar. Jamar asks, should college basketball prohibit court storming, and how would they do it? And Abby, this was the huge topic when we were when we were covering the pit game because right before that game began, uh, Wake Forest beat Duke in Wake Forest. It was a huge upset, and and, uh, and the fans stormed the court. But in the storming of the court, which if you're paying attention to sports, this this happened. It was a big deal. Kyle Filipowski. Gets caught up in the madness of the Wake Forest fans. He gets he bumps into a bunch, and then he sprains his ankle. And now Kyle Filipowski, one of the best players in the ACC last year's ACC Player of the Year, is injured, and we're not sure about the ramifications of that. And so this isn't the first time either. Caitlin Clark happened it happened to her. What's your take on what should happen to to, to court storming? And I like this point of Jamar here because it's not just about should you ban it. I feel like that's the easy question. How do you ban it? Because you're talking about 10,000 people being stopped from rushing a court. Yeah, I think it's a very convoluted issue because I think it's something that um, if you do ban it, uh, it's going to upset a lot of people because it's it's an integral part of um, the culture of basketball. This specifically, we've seen this for years. Big upsets happen and all of a sudden um, – everyone's on the court and players get jostled and and you know like you pointed out a couple weeks ago Caitlin Clark spoke very vocally about it Mm -hmm. it's a little annoying that only now is it getting more national attention that it was Kyle Filipowski but also fair because Caitlin Clark didn't get injured Kyle Filipowski's having an MRI and so I think it's it's I don't know if it's something they should prohibit, but I think it's something that needs to be regulated after the Caitlin Clark thing I saw a lot of discourse about um There are teams out there that have regulations with their fans about, okay, you can storm the court if it warrants it, but you have to wait until the opposing team is off of the court. And I think that's a fair way to do it. But as you pointed out, that's really difficult to navigate because you saw, I mean, the clock hadn't fully even run out Mm -hmm. when the Wake Forest fans started to come out of out. And so how do you regulate that? And I think a lot of that has to do with how much does do your does your fan base respect your program and respect 
um, the rule set in place. And I think that's a good time to point out, you know, the Oakland Zoo doesn't storm the court. Theirs is a little different because um, they say we expect to win on the home court. So why would we act like this is a surprise? And I think that's a very class act way um, to handle it. But it's just if, if, say, the Oakland Zoo was told used to storm the court, whatever, and was told you can only storm the court when after the opposing team is gone, I think the Oakland Zoo would listen to that. So I think it's, it's, I don't think it's something that should be prohibited because I do truly think it is something that is such a big part of, of the fan base and culture of college basketball. But it, it, regulations have to be put in place so that p- players like Kyle Filipowski or even the random walk-on that's yeah. just high five. It doesn't matter if, if you're a, yeah. a great player or or just a anybody. Like if, if you're if you're a trainer who happens to be on the court, mm-hmm. like you know your 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 health is put at risk because that's a mob attacking. And and here's here's why I think it's a really good question about how they do it because here's the thing: how many people do you put there to stop? thousands yeah. rushing on the court that's and 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 like what's what's the what's the amount of force they're allowed to stop a fan with because if a streaker a streaker running is one thing like yeah. you can you, if a streaker runs on the runs on the football field they get tackled they don't they, they don't get treat, be treated nicely and they're carried out but you cannot like you can't have more security guards than people at a basketball game it just it can't happen and if a group of people push through them that's a whole other thing. Now you can, you know, set up a, a wall of them and de- and deter them. And if they break through, then maybe you're like, "Hey, that's serious charges." I feel like that's the only way this works is if like the NCAA, not the ACC, the NCAA, and like law enforcement is yeah. like, we will use technology of cameras in the arenas to figure out who you are, and if you take the court. When we are telling you not to, we will ban you from the arenas. You will never be allowed back in, in to, to, to watch a college basketball game. And then, it, but then again, it just gets real touchy. Yeah. This is, the, I think every, it's easy to say they shouldn't do it. It's yeah. like, you know, they, 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 they say should do It's tough to say how this should be policed. And I think that's where the conversation needs to be moving forward. Absolutely. It's just, like I said, it's a convoluted issue because it is something you don't want to take away. But how do you police it? There's there's truly no way that works properly. I, it makes me think of um, the first ever MVC tournament I covered when I was at Loyola. They allowed the the, the students of the, the student section to come out onto the court to celebrate with the team after they win. But you have to have a wristband. But that's also a much smaller crowd than, say, a, a Wake Forest sold-out crowd. Like, the, the, it, it's just... It almost, to me, makes me wonder if this is less of an NCAA issue and more of a conference-by-conference thing. And and I think we're going to see a lot. I think some of the the discourse over this is going to change depending on how Kyle Filipowski's MRI goes. And it's going to be an issue we're talking about, likely, for the rest of the season, if not longer. I agree. It's not done. And and, it will, it will, and even if there is a ruling made on it, there will be more discussions then. Mm-hmm. We'll see how that plays out. We had a question from Jamal. Jamar, now we have a question from Jermaine who <laughs> asks, if Pitt doesn't make the NCAA tournament, do you think they accept an NIT invitation? And how would they do in the NIT? And Abby, I think this is a good question. Um, because the NCAA tournament, they're very much on the bubble. If you listen to Joe Lunardi, they're very much on the outside of the bubble, yeah. and they have to do everything they can to claw inside. I think that they're a little bit closer than some people give them credit for. I think that even if they don't beat Clemson t- today on Tuesday, 
Um, and because we're this will air on Tuesday. Um, you know, they don't beat Clemson if they win the last three and they win at least one conference tournament game, you're talking about a 22 win team with some really impressive wins over some really good teams. And that I, I think that's worthy of something. But if you if they win two conference tournament games after losing to Clemson, I think that should should get them in Absolutely. because most likely if they've won two turn, conference tournament games, that means that third ter- tournament game was either Duke, North Carolina, Virginia, or Wake Forest. And those are all four good teams to have beaten on your way, uh, on, on your way there. So with that being said, we could talk about the NCAA tournament chances. The question about would they accept an NIT invitation, do you think they would? I think they would. I think there are more benefits to doing it than not, especially for a team that is so young. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously, NCAA tournament is the goal. And and I believe part of Jermaine's question was also, um, do you think they will? I think this is a tournament team. I think this is an NCAA tournament team. It just depends on how they do in these last couple games. I think they yeah. have the talent level. And that makes me think that, yes, I do think they're going to accept an NIT team. And I think they're going to give it their all. And I could see them going pretty far. Think like a, a Wisconsin last year who missed out mm. on the NCAA tournament, went to the NIT and made it all the way to um, the, the final four. It's not the final four in the NIT, but you know what I mean. Yeah, I know what you mean. And, yeah, and I think this is a great opportunity for this team to capitalize on a chance that, you know, maybe isn't as glamorous as the big dance. But first of all, if they get a bid, they're likely hosting a game. So that's another time, great crowd. And, and you know, the team loves their, their crowd. Um, and it's just an opportunity to develop. And I don't yeah. think that they're – there are there's no one that's really injured right now so it's not like you have a risk of injury you're gonna have the time off anyway why not why not is my big thing and and you know there there are more benefits to doing it than not and I just I think it's it's kind of silly if a team doesn't accept an NIT bid um but you know one way or the other Pitt's gonna be playing in the postseason I agree I'm, I'm right with you here and my answer to the would they accept it? I think they would have absolutely. Because here's the thing: Pitt is not some, you know, blue blood darling that should be like, oh, our honor has been stained by accepting an NIT invitation. <laughs> they know where they've been. They're not. They they have never been arrogant about their stance. They've been no. humble. They said we have to prove who we are. I I think Pitt would be. They'd be ticked. They'd be like, we think we deserve the shot, but you know what? We're gonna prove to you that we deserve yeah. the shot. And I think they that if they go out, they like to go out on their shield and they go out there and fight. And I think like you, I think they do well in NIT because I think it would take a team that has a mix of bigs and well and good shooting guard and, and good offensive guards to to meth to beat this Panthers team pretty consistently. A team like Wake Forest, the way that their guards were hitting on, on three pointers and the way they had Efton Reed working inside. I think that's the one thing that can really crack pit mm-hmm. and, and cause some big problems. But any other style of team, I think they can run with. And I mean that because if they make the NCAA tournament and they play, play a, a really good team or a high-seeded team that doesn't have that factor I just mentioned, I think Pitt can be a real big surprise in the NCAA tournament. But they got to get there. We'll get, uh, we'll, we'll get back to them in a second. We got to switch to football real quick because Nate has a question. What are the expectations and ceiling for Rodney Hammond in 2024? So for those who don't know, Rodney Hammond, pit running back. Uh, he was the starter last year. He had been in the system for some years before then. He was Israel Vanaconda's backup. Um, and he's been a, a riser. Like He's been a guy that they've looked at and they've liked for a few years now. But Rodney Hammond, 
is kind of like the promised son now to, at the running back position. He was supposed to be that last year, and he didn't really have the year that he was supposed to have uh, as far as what people thought he would have. Um, and part of that's, you know, Pitt's, Pitt's team was bad last year. Like, <laughs> there's, there's, there's no hiding it. You know, the, the offense didn't work. They fired Frank Signetti. Heck, they they replaced the entire coaching staff uh, mm-hmm. to, to show that. Rodney Hammond only had 547 yards on, on 118 carries and four touchdowns. Um, that's not pit football running back material there. Abby, what do you think are, are should be the expectations for, for Rodney Hammond for this upcoming season in a brand-new offense? So I think we didn't get to see that much of Rodney less last season as best as he could do, not necessarily because of him, but because mm-hmm. of the, how he, the team was and the offense he was in. You know, one of the biggest criticisms of Frank Signetti was getting was that he didn't get the ball to Gavin Bartholomew and he didn't get the ball to Rodney Hammond. And I think Cade Bell's coming in and understands that those were the two biggest criticisms. And he's not going to be like, he's not just pandering to the critics here. I do think that Ronnie pairs well with Cade Bell's offense because, you know, Bell has said, play fast, score faster. And he wants to put his the best players in great positions. And, and Ronnie Bell, whether he's had a good season or not, is one of the best players on this team. I think that's something that's easy to say, whether you're a, a pit diehard or, or a pit naysayer. I, you can't deny his talent. And mm-hmm. so the one thing that has me kind of teetering back and forth is Rodney Hammond's a little bit more of a power back than a speedy guy. He's yeah. quick. He's quick and able to do things, but he's not like, um, is he a where he just kind of takes off and goes. Yeah. However, I do think Frank Signetti or not Frank Signetti, Cade Bell is going to get him the ball. And, and Rodney's the kind of guy that's going to take the most of those opportunities. Like uh, Cade Bell has already said, you know, we're going to get Gavin Bartholomew the ball. He hasn't specifically said anything about Rodney Hammond that I have seen. Um, but why wouldn't he? When you ha- you want to get the ball to your best players, Rodney's one of the better players. And and he's, he's good at what he does. And I think um, that, that lends himself to a higher ceiling this season. I think the bar is a little bit lower just because this is a, a weird year where we're completely changing the offense. So really how good is Pitt going to be as a whole, which affects um, Rodney's ceiling. But I don't, I don't see why he doesn't have high expectations and lives up to them this season. I, I hear you on that. I, I think there's a few questions about Rodney Hammond is how much do they believe in Rodney? Rodney suffered some injuries. Uh, you know, he would, he would, he would take some damage here and there. Um, and there was a point this past season, and Noah and I have talked about this on the show, where we were talking to Andre Powell, who was the running backs coach. He's no longer with the team. Lamar's the new running back coach. But we asked about Rodney Hammond. And at one point, I was like, you know, hey, like, you know, it, it, is there a way for Rodney Hammond to be a power, a more get more chances to prove that he's a power back in your offense? And he looked at me and said, what makes you think Rodney's a power back? Or like that he can play that kind. Of, I said I think getting twenty plus carries and, and and like carrying the team like that. He's like, what made you think Rodney can do that? And I was like, I was honestly asking that question, you know, to give you a chance to kind of you know say what you like about Rodney Hammond. But okay, we'll, we'll we'll take that route. And you know, Noah was also like, yeah, you mean like Syracuse last year and he ran twenty times for one hundred and twenty yards and two touchdowns for the Sun Bowl. And I was and we and Andre was like, oh, okay. And he, Andre kind of backed off of that, but. I, I think there's some doubts about Rodney Hammond and, and if he can be the bell cow by himself. I also think it's going to be interesting to see, will he just be the number one running back this year? Because Derek Davis Jr., a guy who was a local product at a gateway, went away, came back uh, in the transfer portal. And last year he wasn't 
used much. But uh, Lindsay, Lindsay Lamar made a point to say in his first press conference with us uh, just a week ago, um, he said the guy who's winning the sprints right now and is proven to be the fastest on the field is Derek Davis Jr. And Derek Davis Jr. is a guy who converted from defensive back to running back. And it took, it took some time for him to figure some things out. Now that he's fully invested there, how good could he be? Could he bring the the, the home run speed that, that maybe Cade Bell wants? Or does Rodney Hammond have the full package? And I think that's one thing that Rodney Hammond brings to the table is that he can block, he can catch, he can run, he can make people miss. So, like, he can do all those things, and he can run you over. I, was, I love Rodney's demeanor when I talk to him. Like, Rodney's a tough dude. Like, you know, I, and I think that that's one thing that Pitt could really use in its backfield. The question will be, can any other running back surpass him? I think that will be the, the about the expectations and the ceiling for Rodney Hammond. I also wonder, it'll be about Pitt's offensive line. Pitt's offensive line was destroyed last year with injuries. If they can be healthy and they can be good, it's going to give Rodney a lot more chances. Let's get into our last question here. This one coming from Jake. Do you think Jalen Lowe, Bob Carrington, and Ishmael Leggett all return? And who replaces Blake Henson? Um, Abby, I'm going to lead this one off. I, I think that it's going. It's a tough thing to sell all three of them returning in today's transfer portal age. If they do, it is a well, yes, <laughs> money's going to be involved, but it will be the story of the of the of the off season for Pitt. And I mean, bigger than whatever happens in spring football, if this team, if this team does well, even if this team doesn't go to the NCAA tournament at the end of the season, if Lowe, Carrington, and Leggett are all back next year, it is a game on sense of mentality. Um, and because you're presuming Papa Conte will be playing next year, and the guy who the, the forward who was injured, injured going into this season, you're presuming that you're that you're probably able to keep maybe like you know the twins and, and, and Fetty, you know, around. You know, you see who else transfers, you know, uh, you know, and see who else moves around, but. If they kept the big three at the guard position, it'd be very interesting, especially with a guy like Brandon Cummings coming in mm-hmm. and, and adding adding to that mix there and giving them a little bit more depth uh, if he plays. And also Marlon Barnes, you know, who was a, who's a small forward, um, he'll be coming. He'll he'll be no longer redshirting next season. So, I, I do I think it's going to happen. My if I was to bet on either side, I would say no because I think at least one player, Bob Carrington, might go to the NBA. Um, might get a big offer to go to another you know, major D1 school. Jalen Lowe might get a big offer. I think Ishmael Lego will stick around because Pitt, I think Pitt's invested him and he's done very well here. And he's a he'll be a senior next year and he wants to be in the in the system in the system there. Um, but what are your thoughts before we get to the Blake Hinson part? Do you think there's a chance that they're able to keep all three? A good chance that they're able to keep all three. I'm gonna apologize for my dog back park, barking okay. in the background. He's just protecting. He's just protecting the house. <laughs> um. So I think, and and I, I wrote, I think Jalen Lowe's coming back. I yes. think Ishmael Leggett's coming back, and I'm fifty fifty on Bob. I'm yes. gonna break it down. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure Jalen Lowe is coming back. I don't really. I'm gonna take the money thing out of it. You can tell he is invested in this team. Oh yes. And I don't know if there is a dollar sign. I mean, you know, there's always a dollar sign amount or dollar amount that can get someone to leave. But I just think he is so invested in this team and doing well that it benefits him more to come back. He's already like Jeff Capel's invested in him. He's invested. Yeah, sorry. It's so <laughs> annoying. Finley's like bringing you squeaky toys. Like, play with me. Stop oh, yeah. talking about NIL and transfer portal. Play with me. <laughs> yeah. He's, he usually takes a nap under my feet. No, not tonight. 
Um, but yeah, so I just think Jalen Lowe's invested in this and, and he's doing well. And, and like you said, or like, like we know, he's going to be a big player for this team. Mm-hmm. Ishmael Leggett, I say yes. Um, I think a lot of that has to do with um, if he did transfer, he'd have to deal with the um, being a second-time transfer and, uh, you know, waivers and and all of that nonsense which, where we've seen, I mean, Noah and I have talked about it a lot, about West Virginia uh, having to deal with that with Raycon Battle. And I just don't know if Ishmael Leggett wants to deal with that one. And I think he knows he's got a good thing happening here. He does. I yeah. mean, he's he's – Averaging 12.2 points, 5.3 rebounds, leading the team in steals, too. Like, he knows his role on this team, and that's not going to change. Bub, for me, is 50-50, but I don't think he's going to transfer. I think if he doesn't come back, it's because he's going to go to the NBA. Because like I said about Jalen, Bub seems like the kind of guy, and you can probably speak to this a little bit more Mm -hmm. since you've been around the team more than I have. Um, he he just he seems invested in this team. Um, and I think he knows that he could rock with Jalen Lowe and Ishmael Leggett, and they could, you know, be one of the better teams in the ACC if all three of them come. The NBA part is what has me up in the air. You know, he had a fantastic start to the season. I mean, triple-double in his, his yeah. you know, opener. Insane. But... We haven't seen those numbers or, or a game like that in a while. I mean, there in the past like three or four games, he hasn't scored over ten points. I wonder kind of if his stock is dipping a little bit, and so I think it's going to come down to a conversation, much like Blake Henson had at the end of the season, of what is my NBA stock. Blake chose to come back. I could see the same thing happening for Bub. Is if he doesn't like where his name is on the board, maybe I come back. You know, make some good money because he will make yeah. some good money here. And rock with, like I said, Jalen Lowe, Ishmael Leggett. And and this team has so much talent on it next year that they have the chance to be really, really good. And I think Bub's the kind of guy that wants to rock with that. And so I, I that's why I, I like I think I'm confident in Jalen Lowe and Ishmael Leggett, 50-50 on Bub. I don't like you said, I don't think all three of them will come back just because who knows? Um, you know, transfer it, portal. It would be areas. a heck of an accomplishment. Oh. And it's just like like it it would be it would be slightly as uh, less impressive than that than them like you know what i'll put it this way to you more likely that they all three return or more likely that this team makes the sweet 16 this year yes th- right now i'm going to say more likely than all three of them return okay there we go i think that's a good <laughs> way to like pick put the argument in people's heads last point here who replaces Blake Henson now i'm going to say this before we get started to this we have no idea what the transfer portal looks like, and it is the wildest thing. Like everybody's going to declare, Pitt's going to have people declare, every team's going to have. There's going to be superstars that you that you've probably seen, and you're like, wait a minute, that guy's in the portal. They got to go get him. There's going to be so many different ways to attack this to attack this team and uh, to attack this thing. And this is with presuming if they if they keep Fetty, if they keep the twins, if they keep. Uh, you know, got you know, does a guy like Will Jeffers come back? Because I think he has one year left. Um, does a guy like uh, Zach Austin come back? Because he has one, he has one year left, I believe. And those are not givens. And if if those guys return and, and you're and Papa Conte sticking around, and you have you have you have some bigs there, do you want to add a Blake Henson type in the portal, or do you want to say, hey, let's you know, let's see if Austin can kind of play that role and be like a glue guy and we just get a really good big to pair with Papa or Fetty or whoever. 
Yeah, so the way I thought about this, originally I read the question as who replaces Blakinson as like the number one guy on the team, and I don't think that's coming from outside of the transfer portal. I think it's going to be one of the guys we already right. have on this team. Um, I think it's an easier sell this this um, this time around. Last mm-hmm. last off season was a little bit more difficult to navigate, but you know it, there is a big role part on the table, whether or not they're starting or coming off of the bench. The one thing that we also have to remember is teams who don't make the NCAA tournament actually fare better in the transfer portal than teams that don't, just because they have the immediacy of it. Right. Um, so in a way, if you're wanting to get one of these really, really, really good guys, maybe you don't want to go to the NCAA tournament. But, you know, that's always the goal. So that's not a factor they're considering. That's just one I'm thinking about. So when I think of a, a guy who's going to replace Blake Henson, I don't think you need to replace exactly what Blake Henson does. Because here's the thing is the um, team leadership aspect that he brings is his biggest value to this team. And you're not going to get that outside uh, from outside the portal. So I think get a really talented player. Maybe it's one of the guys from a mid-major like who led his team. Or maybe it's it's a, a bench player from, from a power six school. I don't think you need the star power of Blake Henson back by filling this directly. Mm-hmm. I think that's going to come from the guys that are retained from last season. So I think, you know, still need a forward, need someone who's going to be able to uh, come in and give a pop. I think, you know, uh, makes me think of Greg Elliott. Like a guy like Greg Elliott would be a great person to bring in. I know Greg was a guard, so it's a little bit different, but someone who's going to come up, provide a spark, and and play their role. That's what they need more than anything. I agree. They need they need someone who's going to play a role. And, and listen, like it's gonna feel real empty without the superstar Blake Hinson on your team. But if but let's let's say in this scenario, low uh, Jalen Bub Leggett all return. That's star power right there. Those are guys that you know can score. That's a that's arguably the best backcourt in, in ACC. Maybe one of the best backcourts in college basketball. Um, and then you get to see what Marlon Barnes has developed. You get to see what Papa Conte is like. Uh, you know, maybe you know the twins or Fetty have gotten better. And if you get one more piece in there, Zach Austin, maybe st- if he sticks around, there's, di- there's different things. Maybe if you get one more piece in there, who's another really good role player at their spot. You know, maybe a good rim defender in the paint. Maybe a, just a good wing guy. You know, who can do that? Maybe another shooter. Who, whatever it is that you want, there's other things to attack. Not every team has to be the exact same yeah. way their previous their predecessors played like i think that's something to remember here that's very important but we will keep you up to date with all those pit developments as 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 usual here from the pittsburgh post gazette this was the pit mailbag show from chris carter and abby schnabel thanks so much for joining us here from the pittsburgh post gazette find all of our written work at post-gazette.com find all of our our podcasts on your favorite podcasting apps by searching post gazette sports um, find our videos right here on YouTube. Like this video if you enjoy it. Subscribe to this channel to get all of our daily content from all of our sports writers that comes every day. And big shout out to Mike's Beer Bar, the sponsor of this show. Mike's Beer Bar brings you this episode. They're the best bar in Pittsburgh. When you go to Mike's Beer Bar, they're on Federal Street, right across the street from PNC Park. And when you're looking, when, when you're when you're there, you get to tr- tr- try over 500 different available beers. 
300 of those beers are local. 80 of those local beers are available on tap. And when you're when you're sipping on those, you're also enjoying over 20 televisions that can that can even you can even reserve to have even the most obscure sporting event that you have on. If you want to see Duquesne women's basketball, they will find a way to put it on. So go to Mike's Beer Bar today to get your ultimate sports experience and experience the best bar in Pittsburgh. And when you get there, tell them Chris sent you. Pitt plays Clemson 7 p.m. Tuesday night. It's going to be a huge game, a huge quad one win opportunity for Pitt. If they come out of that, that could be a big turning point of this season that determines that either puts that gives them a big boost to have a chance in the tournament or puts their backs up against the wall to have to finish extremely strong to make their chance at the big dance. We'll give you updated either way with a Pitt post game show right here from the Pittsburgh Post Gazette. Thank you for checking out this content from Post Gazette Sports. If you watch this video on YouTube, please like the video and subscribe to our channel. For all of the sports coverage the Post Gazette has to offer, visit post-gazette.com.